If you would take a copy of the scriptures and turn uh, to Mark chapter 1, our Lord willing, we will be finishing this chapter this morning. Of course, next week we'll not be in the book of Mark. Next week is Reaffirmation Day, and then following week, uh, Pastor Tyler will be picking up in the book of Mark in chapter 2. Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. Let's read the word of the living God. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Thus reads the word of the living God, and may his people say, Let's pray. Father, as we have read in our confession this morning, this is your word. And with this word comes your very authority. But we also understand that without the help, without the guidance, without the illumination of your Holy Spirit, these are just words. Father, make these words today come alive in every heart that is here. Everyone within the sound of my voice, Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear that you would give us eyes to see and understand, minds to comprehend, souls to obey. And Father, that you would do this for your glory and for the sake of your kingdom here on this earth. I pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. In our passage last Lord's Day, we were given a glimpse into the, a, a one very busy day in the life of Christ. Mark doesn't usually do that. He usually just kind of generalizes and goes from one event to another that are nece- not necessarily in chronological order. However, in our last passage, last Lord's Day, he, he gave us some chronological events that happened in one day. It was a very busy day for Jesus. You remember, it started in the synagogue, right? 
And he preached with authority. And then he was interrupted by a man with a demon in church. <laughs> and with authority, he cast that demon out. And then, of course, the word got out. So as soon as the, the, he left the synagogue, Peter's mother-in-law was sick, so he healed her. And then as soon as the sun went down, it says many people came, packed, crammed. You know, um, Luke says that he laid his hands on each of them. So he, he one at a time, he healed these people and he cast out demons. A very personal uh, ministry, uh, very busy. And so that probably went, a good ways into the night. Remember, it didn't really start till sundown. Um, so it was a busy day. Mark in our passage today uh, is going to start on the morning of the very next day, but then he'll quickly go back to his generalities and, and, and not really keep time frames. Primarily, though, I think Mark's idea in this passage is to give us one a glimpse into Christ's prayer life but two to give us a, a a picture beyond a shadow of a doubt what Christ's primary mission is was and Jesus himself will say that I didn't come here basically to heal people and cast out demons I came to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God and so that was his mission up until his passion and then, of course, then we had Christ's passive obedience in the cross when he redeems those people uh, that are responding correctly to the gospel. Christ performed many miracles, but that was not his primary mission. It, it does show his compassion. He did have compassion. We're told many times in the gospels, Christ looked on them with pity. He had compassion on them. But that was not his primary mission. His primary mission was to preach the gospel of God. The coming of the kingdom. It's my hope and prayer that we will gain from this passage a deeper, stronger, and sweeter relationship with our triune God. And that our personal, and hear me now, our personal and corporate prayer lives will grow exponentially. What do we have today at 1.30? A time of corporate prayer. We believe, we say, that prayer is important. We'll see just how important you think it is at 1.30. I pray that as our prayer lives grow, both personally and corporately, that it will produce much fruit that our faith will be renewed and strengthened and grown. Most of all, I pray that our dear Savior will be glorified as we seek to magnify His holy name. And so we see the prayer life of Jesus. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there He prayed. You know, interestingly... As much as we would like to emphasize the prayer life of Christ, there's only three mentions of Christ praying in the book of Mark. I, I think he assumes that his readers would understand that Christ was always, always involved in prayer. 
I personally don't believe that a day went by in Christ's life where he did not commune with his father in prayer. Now, he was very busy, but his priorities were straight, weren't they? I mean, he had a, we just saw he had a late night of ministry. He is a man, okay? He got tired like the rest of us. And yet, he knew if he was going to have meaningful time spent in prayer with his father, he was going to have to sacrifice something. What did he sacrifice? His sleep. Because he got up before anybody else. I'm sure he knew in his mind, if he waited till it got light, he wouldn't be able to get out the door. And so, sacrificing time, sacrificing his sleep, he gets up very early. Mark tells us, before the sun come up, while it was still dark, and headed out into a desolate place to pray. But Mark only records that for us three times. Once here, at the beginning of his Galilean ministry. Once in chapter 6, after feeding the 5,000. And of course, in chapter 14, we see Christ praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It is only in the garden scene, actually, that we are told the content of his prayer. Because here it just says he was praying. And John, I mean, excuse me, Mark chapter 6, it just says he goes up into a desolate place or up the mountain and prays. Remember, he sends away the crowd, sends away the disciples. But just because Mark doesn't tell us that Jesus prayed a lot, he doesn't record every instance, doesn't mean that Christ didn't pray all the time. Christ knew where his power came from, and he knew how to harness that power through prayer. But it's also, I'd like to see it like this. What were we created to do? We were created to glorify God. We were created to have a personal relationship as his people with the living God. Adam walked with God daily in the garden. But something happened. When Adam fell, that fellowship was broken. And we talked about this a little bit this morning. Jesus is what? The last Adam? And so Jesus restored that fellowship. I believe daily. Restored that daily communion with the living God. So this is part of his duty as the last Adam. As the the image bearer. To restore that fellowship. And he does so by example, but he will also do so and make that possible for his people through his sacrifice, through his perfect life, his perfect obedience, and his death, and his resurrection. And so we get a picture here of what we should have, a daily communing with the living God. Now, that's just personal prayer life. But it, it gets better than that. Because our personal prayer lives should lead us to have a, a thriving corporate prayer life. 
When you hear people pray out loud corporately, you can tell if they pray a lot or not. You usually, generally, you can. You can tell if they have a good personal prayer life of how they address God, what they say. Do they pray the word of God? Do they, do they just give a bunch of empty fluff or do they have substance to their prayers? Jesus had substance to his prayer. He, he knew that he needed daily to talk with his father. Not because he had sin to confess, but because he had much work to do. And he needed his help. He needed the father's help. He needed the father to send the spirit to help him. Jesus didn't do all these miracles with his own power. Even though he was fully God, and at the same time fully man, he did not use his divine power. I believe it was the power of the Holy Spirit that was in him, and he harnessed that power by daily speaking with his Father, because he came to do what? What the Father sent him to do. And so every day, He communes with the Father and talks about what the Father wants him to accomplish. But think about this. What do we accomplish without God? How much of the things in our life do we do under our own power without consulting God? As Christians, we have a mission, right? And it's a mission given to us by our Heavenly Father. It's given to us by the captain of our salvation, Jesus Christ. How often do we consult Him about our mission? And for most of us, that's probably not nearly enough. Now, we carry out that mission in a lot of different ways, right? We we can... Carry out that mission at work. We don't all have to stand at a pulpit to carry out that mission. We carry out that mission in our home life, in our family life. We carry out that mission in how we interact with others, even just out and about, interact with strangers. But just as Christ did, so too we need to daily commune with our Heavenly Father and discuss this mission. But we have so much more that we need to discuss with our Heavenly Father, don't we? We have much sin to confess. Jesus didn't have to confess sin. And yet he had a vibrant, fervent prayer life. If Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, needed to spend much time in prayer, how much more we as sinful creatures... The late J.C. Ryle, and I, and I believe the ladies actually are studying about prayer on uh, J.C. Ryle, right? And so I, providentially, I have a quote about prayer from J.C. Ryle, speaking of Christ's life and prayer. He says, we ought to see in all this the immense importance of the private devotion. If he who was holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, prayed continually like this, How much more ought we who are subject to weakness? What shall we say to those who never pray at all? In the face of such a passage as this, 
A praying master like Jesus can have no prayerless servants. The spirit of adoption will always make people call on God. To be prayerless is to be Christless, godless, and on the high road to destruction. End quote. It's pretty pointed saying there, is it not? Those words can cut pretty deep. Are we Christ's disciples? Do we spend time in prayer? Jesus, in every aspect of his life, set the example for everyone to follow. It is interesting, and I'm talking now, especially with his inner circle, his disciples. He's, he's teaching them uh, how to live and, and minister after he leaves, after he dies and is resurrected and, and then ascends. And it's no accident that out of everything that Jesus, uh, that Christ's disciples observe in his life, that, that all they see him doing, that they ask him, teach us to pray. It's not recorded in any of the Gospels where they pulled Jesus aside and said, Jesus, teach us how to cast out demons. Teach us how to preach like you do. Teach us how to stand up to the Pharisees and the scribes. No. The request is teach us to pray. You know, Andrew Murray has a wonderful little book, and we were studying it briefly here. It's called With Christ in the School of Prayer. And, and his very first chapter in the book echoes the, the request made by Jesus' disciples. He writes, Lord, teach us to pray. This is what we need to be taught. Though in its beginnings, prayer is so simple that the feeblest child can pray, yet it is at the same time the highest and holiest work to which man can rise. It is fellowship with the unseen and most holy one. It is the very essence of true religion, the channel of all blessing, the secret of power and life. It is on prayer that the promises wait for their fulfillment, the kingdom for its coming, and the glory of God for its full revelation. End quote. Andrew Murray put a, quite a, uh, an emphasis on prayer, and I think rightly so. I think today we may put far too small of an emphasis on prayer. Some just pray <clears throat> maybe at mealtime, right? A quick word of thanks. But how many of us spend time alone with God? We have busy schedules, yes. We have busy schedules, and that's all the more reason why we should have a time set apart to pray. It's, it, it's, it's, it's ludicrous to think that we can just accomplish all this on our own without consulting God. And yet we do. May God grant us repentance. <clears throat> now we're not given much in Mark's gospel of an insight actually into Christ's prayer. We are in the other gospel accounts. Um, Luke records um, 
several instances of Christ praying and actually records Christ um, teaching on prayer. You know the, the persistent widow? That's, that's a teaching for us to be persistent in prayer. <clears throat> Christ taught his disciples to pray in what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer, which is a model prayer. It's not the, that we must recite those words word for word. He, he just gave them the model that this is what your prayer should contain. Right? But I think one of the one of the most intimate looks we have into Christ's prayer life is in John chapter 17, which is called the high priestly prayer, where Jesus doesn't really spend the time praying for himself. He's praying for, for us. He's praying for his disciples, and he's praying for all those who will believe through them. So if you believe, he was praying for you. And guess what, dear ones? He still is. He still is praying for you. As busy as Jesus had been the previous day, and probably late into the night, he got up early and went to a deserted place where he could commune with his Father, where he could be refreshed and strengthened to do the work for which he was sent. The wonderful truth is this. Not only did Jesus spend much time in prayer while he was on earth, he is continuing that ministry of intercession. The Bible says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7.25 Dear ones, we have a praying Savior. Next we are told that of the realization of Jesus' absence and the consequent search. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. I think it would be safe to, to assume <clears throat> That as soon as it was light, the crowds came back to Peter's house. It's probably what woke up the disciples. But guess what? When they woke up, Jesus wasn't there. And so we're told, and they went and found him and said, everyone is looking for you. Now, some commentators say that's, that's kind of a, a, a veiled accusation against Christ. You know, what, what business do you have out here in the wilderness? How dare you? These people are, are counting on you. These people are waiting for you. They're looking for you. <clears throat> and Jesus says, well, I'm sorry. Here, let me finish up real quick and let's go back, right? No, no. And we will read later on that Christ doesn't perform very many miracles in Capernaum. And we'll be told why. These people are coming to him for what he can do for them. Did you know that that's the way Jesus is presented in, in much of the westernized gospel? Come to Jesus. You, you already have a full life. I mean, you have a wonderful family. You have a wonderful house. You have three cars, two boats. All you lack is Jesus. He's like the icing on top of the cake. He's like an appurtenance. And these people were coming to Jesus for what he could do for them and not for who he was, by and large. 
Sometimes I, I think about, I wonder how many people that were actually healed by Jesus were in that crowd yelling, crucify him. Makes you think, doesn't it? But Jesus knew this. He knew why they were coming. But he also knew that healing these people and casting out demons, that was not his primary mission. And he says that to these disciples. He, he informs them that healing the sick and casting out demons is not his primary task. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I might preach there also. He didn't say that I might heal those sick people also. That I might cast out their demons also. He says that I might preach there also. What do we learn from that statement? Not just that that was Christ's primary mission, but we see in that the primacy of preaching. The primacy of preaching. It is sad that many congregations today prioritize almost everything else in the worship service above preaching. That's been 45 minutes to an hour singing and dancing around and, and what they call their worship, which they don't understand that everything we do here on the Lord's Day is worship. Giving of your tithes and offerings is worship. Singing is worship. Praying is worship. Listening to God's Word read and reading God's Word and hearing it preached, that's all worship. But here Christ shows us very clearly the primacy of preaching. I think we have it correct here at Emmanuel Baptist Church, or at least we're trying to. Yes, we, we enjoy singing, I, and I wish we could sing more. Maybe we ought to have some more afternoon services where we just spend more time singing. I love singing. Not a lot of people. Uh, you know, singing is, is, is how we express praise to God. And we're told that we ought to do that. But that's not the center of our worship service. That's not the, 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 the height that we want to achieve just singing. Praying is important. Yes, we, we see that in Jesus' prayer life. But it, once again in this statement, he didn't say, I, I want to go to these other towns so I can pray there too. Preaching. The primacy of preaching. So what is your top priority when you come to corporate worship? To participate in the service, Right? And what does that mean when it comes to the preaching? Do, do you come up and help me preach? No. Your responsibility is to actively participate in the preaching of God's word by listening. And by applying what you hear. And by obeying the commands of God. And by uh, joyfully uh, reveling in the promises of God. And yes, by trembling at the threatenings of God. That's your duty when it comes to the preaching of God's word and corporate worship. You see, to Jesus, as important as the miracles were, they weren't his primary mission. As compassionate as he was towards these people who were sick and downcasts 
uh, as we read in our psalm this morning, that, that God uh, uh, looks after the poor, right? And he expects his people to do so. As important as that is and was, preaching the gospel. These people, more than anything else in the world, more than being made whole, more than having demons cast out of them, even more than being raised from the dead, they needed to hear the life-giving gospel of Christ. And that is still mankind's greatest need today, to hear the gospel and prayerfully to respond to it correctly and repentance and faith. Jesus came to preach the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus told the skeptical religious leaders, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. In other words, those miracles that Jesus performed, yes, they were compassionate. They were out of love for these people, compassion. But they were, those miracles were to validate his message. They were to validate that who Jesus said he was, he was. They were to validate that God the Father had in fact sent him. That's what he tells these Pharisees. You don't believe me, well at least believe the works. Because by these works you see that the Father is in me. And so yes, the, the miracles were important. The casting out of demons was important. But like we saw a few weeks ago, those, those were primarily to, to show forth the king's authority because the kingdom had come. The king was there and the king came with authority. And so Mark writes, And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Once again, he jumps from uh, uh, an in-depth look at a day in the morning and the next morning and then, okay, now he went throughout all the, the towns and preached in their synagogues, which means that this spans a period of time that we're not given that period of time, but it spans a period of time. Preaching is emphasized there. And of course, the casting out of demons And then we see a beautiful picture of the unclean made clean. While Jesus was continuing his ministry, Mark tells us that a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. And, and I'm sure that Mark really meant it when he said immediately. <laughs> immediately. <laughs> he uses that word a lot, but here it actually means right away. The leprosy left him and he was made clean. Several things to note here. First, the compassion of Jesus. We are told that he was moved with pity. Second, one who had leprosy was not only physically unclean, but we read in the Old Testament that he or she, by law, by law, 
given by God, by law, was also ceremonially unclean. What happened to Miriam when she had leprosy? She was put outside the camp. And that was the law of leprosy. If you read through the book of Leviticus, a leper was put outside the camp. Now I know that there was probably a lot added to it by the Pharisees in the time of Jesus' day. But they were, by law, ceremonially unclean. And consequently, anyone who came into contact with them, whether it was on purpose or by accident, was also ceremonially unclean. So that begs the question, why did Jesus reach out and touch him? Why didn't he just say, okay, be clean? Sinclair Ferguson, he, he, he kind of explains it like this. He says, he wanted to heal the man, of course, but he could have done that without touching him. By touching him, he was really saying, I am prepared to become, by choice, what you are by nature. A man under the judgment of the law. In order to share with you what I have, freedom of life. And other commentators say this was Christ reversing the curse. You see, by law the curse would go from the unclean one to the clean one. But Jesus reversed that order. He took clean and made the unclean clean. So instead of the curse going this way, it was reversed and it was gotten rid of. Jesus reached out and touched the man. He said, I'm not bound by your superstitions. I am Lord even of leprosy. And I command it to leave. And he touched the man and the leprosy was gone. The Apostle Paul explains... For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And Jesus sternly charged him after He was made clean. Sternly charged him. This is the same word... That's used for Jesus rebuking the demons, right? I mean, he, he sternly charged them, look, keep this under wraps. Because he knew what would happen as soon as the word got out. And, and, and it did, right? Because this guy didn't obey him. <laughs> now, we don't know if he did. I, I don't think he did it out of spite. I mean, he had leprosy. He was unclean. It was unheard of of people being healed of leprosy. That was usually a death sentence. But this man was made whole. I'm sure it was just in his excitement that he was, look at, look at me. Jesus made me whole. I no longer have leprosy. Jesus knew that these laws were not given by Moses. He, he mentions Moses. But he knew that the law was given through Moses by God. And since it was a law given by God, this man as a Jew was required to obey it. And so Jesus says, you go do what the law says as a testimony to them. Second, he knew that by going through the ceremonial cleansing ritual, remember it was an eight-day ritual. It included the washing of the body, the shaving of the body hair and all that, and then a reinspection at the end of the time, and then a sacrifice. 
This was like an eight-day ritual. Jesus knew that if, by going through this ritual, the man would be restored to his family. He would be restored back to, once again as an accepted member of society. And he would be restored back to the worship of God with the people of Israel. You see, as a leper, he wasn't allowed in the synagogue. He wasn't allowed in the temple. He wasn't allowed in town. He wasn't allowed to live with his family. And so by going through this, he would be publicly restored. But most importantly, he knew that if this were to get out, uh, his popularity would grow to the point where his preaching ministry would be hindered. Mark tells us that this man, in his excitement, he ignores Jesus. And just what happens, people come from every quarter. And so Jesus is not able to go into the towns anymore. He has to stay out in the wilderness. But even then, the people come to him. And we are told in verse 14 that this was all taking place after John the Baptist had been put in prison. And Matthew gives an account while John the Baptist was in prison. And this could have taken place during this time that John the Baptist sends some disciples to Jesus, right? And wants to ask Jesus a question. The question was this, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? John, being in prison, was starting to have his doubts. Yes, even the great John the Baptizer, who was filled with the Spirit from the womb, was still just a man. As, and as such, he too was prone to weakness and doubt. But how did Jesus answer him? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And I believe that's in the same time frame that, that this is being written by Mark. That's, because this is before um, John the Baptist is killed. And so Jesus is performing these miracles. He's going about, he's preaching the gospel, he's casting out demons, right? I believe that these miracles not only validate who Jesus are, but I believe they point, they give us a physical picture of a spiritual reality. And I know we're almost out of time. I'll run through this quickly. They give us a physical picture of a spiritual reality. Jesus gave sight to those who were physically blind. We are all born spiritually blind. We read in John 3, 3, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The Christian, by the grace of God, has been given spiritual sight. You're not a Christian because you were smarter than other people. Or, or wiser than other people. You're a Christian because God has given you spiritual sight. He's opened your eyes. This means, first of all, we are able to see our sin for what it is, vile and disgusting. We are able to see it's an unholy rebellion against the God who created us. Second, we are able to see our awful plight. Were it not for the grace of God, we are see ourselves bound for an eternal hell. Third, we are now able to see Jesus, the kingdom of God, for who he is, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. 
And by his amazing grace, we see our way clear to flee to the Savior. Jesus made the lame to walk again. We are all born with a spiritual inability or a spiritual paralysis to come to God, to do anything that's pleasing to God. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In Christ, we are set free from the paralyzing bondage of sin. Christ spiritually makes the lame to walk again. We are born with a spiritual deafness to the things of God, are we not? Christ healed the deaf. He gave them their hearing back. But, but being spiritually deaf, the word of God, when we hear it, does not make sense to us because it does not pass through ears that hear. We have, uh, as Jesus said of the, the Old Testament Jews, dull, those who are dull of hearing, right? The Bible says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Why? Because they can't hear it rightly. And not being able to hear it rightly, they cannot understand it. The gospel is maddening to those unbelievers. But believer, God has opened your ears, the ears of your heart, to the gospel. And that hearing it, you respond in repentance and faith. So God gives hearing to the deaf. You know, Jesus told John the Baptist, his disciples, he said, tell them that the, the dead are raised to life. That too is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. Because guess what? We, every one of us, were born spiritually dead. Not spiritually sick, not spiritually neutral, spiritually dead. The Bible says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2. If you are truly a Christian, you have been brought to life by the power of the living God. The same power that raised Jesus physically up from the dead raises you up from spiritual death. You're no longer dead in your sins and trespasses, but you're alive in Christ. In other words, He has called you, sinner, come forth. And He has called you by name. And He has given you spiritual life. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. When Christ gives life, no one can take it away. No one can take it away. And if you are alive in Christ today, you have been made so by the power of of the risen Lord. Well, in our passage today, we have seen the tender compassion of Jesus, 
yet the unwavering dedication to the mission that his father sent him to accomplish. He continued to exercise his authority in preaching and casting out demons and healing the sick. We see that Jesus gleaned his power from being in constant communion with his father and that through this relationship, the power of the Holy Spirit rested mightily upon the Messiah, upon Christ. Dear ones, it is my hope and prayer that all who are hearing this message today would be found to be in union with Christ. If you are not, cry out to him for mercy. Beg the Lord of glory to give you eyes your des- uh, to give you eyes, so you can see your desperate need of the Savior. Beg the Lord of glory to give you ears to hear the gospel message. Beg him to loose you from the bonds of sin so that you may run to him. Flee to Jesus today. Repent and believe the gospel. And dear ones, have you been united to Christ by faith? Has he opened your eyes and ears? Has he freed you from the bondage of sin? Has he given you new life? If so, praise him. Praise the Lord. If that is the reality in your life, then you can, along with the hymn writer, boldly proclaim, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Holy Father, we do not want to be presumptuous in saying that it is well with my soul. But rather, we beg that you would give us the assurance from your Holy Spirit that that isn't true. That is, in fact, the case. For if we are truly in Christ, then by your grace and by your mercy, it is well with our souls. But, Father, it is not well with the soul of those who who do not believe. Your word tells us that they are condemned already because they have not believed in the one and only Son, So, Father, by your grace and through your mercy, grant grant us all this reality. Grant us all repentance. Give us all faith. And help us place that faith in the Lord Jesus and Him only. Father, edify your saints here today. Strengthen our faith. Many of us can cry out and confess, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And so do so, Father, for your glory and for the sake of your church, that we may be raised up with Christ on the last day for your eternal glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We would stand and sing together hymn number 406.